So my name is Rebecca Joseph Nyamar. And what is it that you do, Rebecca? Um, quite a long list of things, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but in short, I would say um, special educational needs teacher. But you'll see how that will expand <laughs> as we go through the interview. Yeah, I can I can imagine. Um, I can imagine there's quite a lot involved in that. Um, I suppose for for anyone who um, is less familiar or has maybe heard of it and come across it in that kind of SCN role, um, are you able to to kind of give us a bit more information about maybe on a day to day basis what you what you tend to do and kind of the key things, um, you know, things that you might sort of like about your role, things that are maybe a bit more challenging. Well, I'm actually starting a new role this mm. Thursday, actually. Okay. Um, so, which is a bit more intense than the role I've just come from. So the role I've just come from is set in a clinical setting mm. and it's dealing with children with eating disorders okay. and other um, mental health um, issues. And mm. um, So that was in a clinical setting in a category four hospital, private hospital. Okay. Um, and so I was part of the um, multiple disciplinary team, the MDT teams, um, discussing each of the children um, in our care. Um, and I came from the edu- educational aspect mm-hmm. of their care, um, but also hold qualifications and masters in psychology mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some 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 really interesting things there. There's quite a mix of a lot of um, uh, different. Uh, sort of clinical parts of psychology that actually I've, mm. I'm, I'm, I didn't even realise that connected a lot of interesting things that I hadn't really considered that would all kind of mix together in in, in kind of uh, kind of one part. And um, can you tell us a little bit about how someone uh, ends up, you know, doing a role like that as well? Because because I, I, again, I know you sent me a few bits before, but um, you, you've had quite quite an interesting kind of sort of journey here. So I'd, I'd love to, to yeah. hear about it. Yeah. So my role, my path has not been the traditional path where you do your undergrad in psychology Mm -hmm. and then do a master's and then go on to do either a PhD or a doctorate. Mm. So my path started actually in law and um, I went into criminal defence law as a barrister. Okay. And... I think from the outset, I think something, a thread that hasn't changed is always wanting to help people. Mm-hmm. And it came to a point where I, I did feel what I was doing wasn't actually helping anybody. Mm. Um, by the time um, I got in front of somebody, it was kind of too late by then. Okay. And my clients were getting younger and younger. And it just so happened um, they tended to be young black men and boys mm. Mm. Um, and so by the time I met them in the cells of the um, the crown court mm. um, it was just a bit too late um, by then and I just felt I wasn't making the impact that I thought um, I, that I wanted and then it just so happened that I had um, a stroke okay. and while I was um, in hospital, so I lost my speech and I lost the use of the right side of my body completely. Wow. And so it was complete silence, but it was one of the best things that actually happened to me because from the age of seven, I my ambition was just to be a judge. 
okay and to make the world a better place from the mm. age of seven i was very driven with that yeah and to be honest looking back it would have taken something like a stroke for someone to, to say stop this is not the path for uh, you okay so while i was in my moment of silence um and i'm also a christian as well and it felt just like it was me and god talking but i couldn't respond Mm. and all the thoughts that I've had about helping people and in my profession I wasn't really helping um it just wasn't it 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 seemed like one was only getting wealthier but it was like an empty wealth because there was no substance behind it and that's when education came into the mind that I need to get to kids before they even are involved criminal side of things or what have you and try and help them to deal with the issues um, that can lead to that pathway. So when I came out of hospital, I went through quite an aggressive, um, what what would the word be? It was, it was more than just the physio. It was, it was a whole package. The NHS is just a wonderful thing, but it was a whole package that they put me through. And I think because I was so young at the time, they literally threw full force of the professions at me. Mm. And the following year, I went back to uni and did mm. my PGCE, which mm. a lot of people said that wouldn't, I couldn't possibly do that. Um, but there were still elements of the old Rebecca there, because as I was saying to my consultant, I said, oh, after this stroke, sometimes I forget my words. And I just don't feel as clever as I was. Mm. And he said, well, what do you mean by, by that? I said, well, before I was extremely clever. Mm. And he nodded. I said, now I'm just a little bit clever. Okay. <laughs> I don't feel quite comfortable with that. Um, so he said, well, go and, and, and go back to uni and see how it goes. And that was so smooth um, sailing. Mm. And then I became a qualified teacher. Um, and I've been teaching for 10 years now. Oh, okay. Yeah. And although you you know that you have helped people's lives, you've shaped people's lives, but the actual number um, I, I never counted because sometimes you're impacting people's lives and you don't even know about it. Yeah, yeah. And and it was then that exposed me to the um, the traumas that young people are going through, the uh, how their environment really impacts their path. And if nobody interrupts that and says, actually, it doesn't have to be that way, mm. it can be so disastrous where you can either, well, one path is to end up in the criminal justice yeah. system and other paths are just unspoken, um, really. Mm. And that's when I was starting to think about psychological aspects of things. Mm. Now, I'd done A-level psychology mm. um, and actually loved it. But the problem with academia is that they're not interested in your thoughts, actually. (laughs) There is a format. Yeah. Follow that format. And if you don't follow that format, you're not going to pass. Um, But I was full of ideas. And after reading theories and thinking and evolving in my mind, and I would actually then put it out on paper. And my A-level teacher said, you'll either get an A-star or an E. We just don't know. Which is really bad advice. Really yeah, bad I mean, advice. that's quite big extremes, like an A star, and it was literally both ends of the spectrum, right? <laughs> exactly. Okay. And as now as a teacher, I think that was 
one of the worst things that you could, as a teacher, you can actually say to somebody because mm-hmm. if you can recognise somebody's got A star quality, but as a teacher you rec- recognise the format of that excellence needs to be cultivated into a system in mm-hmm. order for that to be recognised. That's your job to do that, mm-hmm. not just allow the excellence just to go here, there, and everywhere, yeah. but explain the process that even though this is a great thought and you've obviously done a great observation of this theory, now let's get down to the critical thinking. And we own for an exam, you only need to put maybe three of them in. We don't need to put all seven in. So really simple things like that, I never got whatsoever. Mm. So I actually got an E, um, mm. but I actually really enjoyed the exam. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I gave them I gave them all my thoughts and what have you. And <laughs> that actually came up on my um because we had we had it re um, marked. Yeah. And the examiner said they could see that this was somebody who enjoyed psychology and what have you, but didn't answer the question in the in, in their way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I moved away from, from psychology and it was mm. all about law anyway. Mm. Um so yeah, going back to then into to teaching. It wasn't just the children that I became aware of with regards to mental health and psychological structures in people, but also the teachers that I was working with and how such creative people can be so shut down by a toxic environment and how this in itself can create new problems or at least exacerbate problems that are there already. Mm. And in theory, that shouldn't be the case in a school. A school should be a place of exploration and discussion and creativity to your full limits Mm. uh, for both teachers and for students. And so that drove me into wanting to study that a bit more. And I did my master's in organisational psychology Mm -hmm. because I thought I could make a difference with staff and with pupils as well. Um, but then I did get the, the psychology bug and I did a back-to-back master's um, at UCL doing the psychology of educa- education okay. because organisational psychology was actually, in order to have um, a substantial career in it with regards to the salaries attached, you'd have to go into the corporate world. Mm. And even though it would pay very well, you wouldn't actually be making a difference whatsoever because a a lot of the things that you have to put in place, change Mm. can take a minimum of five years. Companies haven't got time to put something in place for five years. They haven't got the patience to wait. So they're quite happy to, exactly. They're quite happy to pay you to put something in place knowing that they're not actually going to follow it through. Mm. Um, And that just wasn't a situation that I didn't want to be in at all not making a difference and also I miss being with young people Mm. as well so I did the master's in psychology of education with the intent to go on to do the doctorate in educational psychology and Mm -hmm. become an educational psychologist and a child psychologist yeah so I completed the second master's um applied for the doctorate but Mm -hmm. got on the waiting list Uh, and I must admit I was really confused (laughs) Yeah, quite tell, frankly. T- tell me about that. So, um, 
So it went for an interview. I won't say the institutions that it went for, but I thought the institution was like kind of perfect for me. I did my second master's in but that wasn't the place that I actually wanted mm. um, to go. To go, okay. Um, but mainly because of the freedom to explore theories rather than stick to a particular format. Yeah. Because yeah. from my own experience, kids aren't formatted at all. And so we used to be that rigid with them. It's not going to work. And that's not the kind of psychologist I wanted to be. Mm. But yeah, had a great interview and then got put on the waiting list. And I thought, oh, wow, there must be some really outstanding people uh, that applied for it. Mm. I mean, there are aspects that there are only 16 places because they're government-funded places. So there is that limitation. But I was thinking, how many other people have uh, qualified as a barrister, qualified as a teacher with experience, Mm. have worked with children with mental health? Mm. Um, Yeah, how many people have done that? Yeah, got on the course, and then I can't. I was I was quite upset, and my son it was the one that said, "Have you ever considered your surname?" And I've always thought it's about being excellent in the person that you are, etc. My son's seventeen, and he said, "Seems quite blatant to me, Mum, because I don't know anybody with the amount of letters after your name or the experience that could." could have been selected to be on that course above you. Um, and I didn't accept that um, fully, mm. but there, there was an essence of truth to it from my, my own gut feeling. But it turned out for the best anyway, because the new role that I'm about to take, mm. I actually, part of the team that I manage includes educational psychologists. So it wouldn't actually make a sense, even if they said tomorrow, oh, actually, we're taking off the way to want to offer the place. It wouldn't actually make sense for me to do that, actually. Yeah. So it's worked out well for me, but I can imagine somebody who maybe didn't have that new opportunity to go on to, well, it could, it could, well, I know it stopped people, excellent people, Mm. in the in their step but as most things can't quite put your finger on it nor what's happened are you able to articulate it um which i think is something rife in the psychology world in the western eurocentric world anyway and very um what would the word be? Very British. Okay. In that these things are veiled. I'm going to come on to that in a moment because I think <laughs> I think um, I mean, firstly, just like wow, um, in you know, in terms of what you've um, been able to do, all this like the study you've done, the roles you've done. I think for me, listening to that. I, I always like the fact it comes back to your values. Like every time you've done a different position, there's something that's kind of underpinning all of that. Um, where it's like, you know, working in the justice system, actually it didn't, it, the way you kind of wanted to do it, just 
it just wasn't quite fitting in with you know the role that you had there so kind of moving on the teaching I, I love the idea about uh, I think you said something along the lines of um uh teaching should be like a place of exploration not just for the students but for the teachers I mean mm. wow um and and then um like the idea about the, the kind of studying the organizational sort of side of things and again it, it just it's really for me anyway it's really impressive that you you've been linking these kind of different areas and thinking okay you know these are my skills of expertise this is something actually if I move here I can supplement that these are the changes I couldn't do previously so actually if I get this as well not only can I use what my knowledge and skills and experience from what I've been doing before but I can get a step closer to making the change I'd like to to make um yeah no just honestly because again like you know i'd read a few of the bits that you sent before but i mean um it, it does bring us to this thing about how could i mean i'm not on the panel for for a doctorate i know a bit about the, the clinical doctorate less so about the educational one but i mean maybe we'll, we'll, we'll have we'll, we'll get to some bits in a moment but just why wouldn't you want someone <laughs> You know, like like with with that experience, having done I all, thought of that as well. Yeah, why, why why wouldn't you want somebody working, you know, with kids in an educational sort of psychological setting, or at least, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm I've lost my words. Um, yeah. <laughs> so. I suppose before we we moved on, there, there was there was one thing I wanted to ask, and I wonder if if this is maybe on the minds of um, uh, some of the, the listeners as well. Is just about your your son sort of pointing or, or making a kind of reference to 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 your surname, because um, we didn't cover this at the beginning. But in terms of your kind of heritage, like how would you mm. kind of explain that just for just to give people some context? Yeah, so I was born in Oldham, which is um, halfway between the Yorkshire Dales and, and Lancashire. Mm. Um, but we sit on the Lancashire side. Mm. And my mother is Jamaican mm-hmm. and my father is Canadian. Mm-hmm. And then I came down to London for university mm. and I met my husband who was born in London, but his heritage is Ghanaian. Mm. So you can imagine the the wedding was like the United Colours of Benetton. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great day. Yeah, yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. But one of the funny things that I'll share with you as well, when I was, because I studied GCSE music. Oh, yeah. And in the class, the teacher just gave us a whole afternoon to explore world music. Mm. Now, up north, the only, um, I suppose, ethical um, minorities where you were either Jamaican mm. from Barbados if you were black Bangladeshi Pakistan or white English mm. and that was, that was the it. world mm. it's only till now that I noticed that some people who said they were Jamaican were actually Nigerian but they hid that <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that for another show. Um, yeah, that's yeah. another. Um, <laughs> yeah, especially one in trauma. Some people are very traumatized, but anyway. Yeah. So, um, and I looked at the map, and I was drawn to this place, which ended up being Ghana, mm. and I'd never heard of Ghana or mm. explored it at all. But I was just drawn to it, 
And so I did some research about the music of Ghana and what have you. I was like, this is a place that I just have to go. Mm. I don't know what it is about it. Um, and then it turned out that my husband was Ghanaian. So it was it was just perfect. And when I did go to Ghana, it did feel like I'd been there before. Mm. Something a bit familiar so around that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Um yeah, so I'm just thinking about all the colours that that must have been at your wedding. Actually, um, I can imagine that was uh, an amazing. Um, it was uh, wonderful. Yeah, my husband was in his kente cloth, traditional <laughs> kente cloth. I was in a gold dress. Yeah, it wow. was it was wonderful. It was um, amazing, and obviously, so you've got um, you, you've got children, of course, and and coming back to to, to kind of what, what your son had said and. Um, I think for me, when you mentioned it, there were a couple of things that stood out. One was the, I guess, I think, I think you just kind of touched on that already, like how it made you feel and how you reflected on that. But astounded isn't the right words, um, but just the insight that your son had shown to be thinking in that way, also the mm. sadness that he's also, that some, that's a thing um, as well. And um, I just, I wondered if you'd feel comfortable to um, elaborate on that experience as well a little bit more no most definitely because I've always my children so I have a daughter who's 12 Mm. just turned 12 and my son just turned 17 Mm. and I've always felt they've been in an environment where um, if you see something you want it then you go for it and you've got to be you've got to put in your 100% best Mm. in it and if somebody beats you it's only because they were better than you but you still go for it anyway, yeah, and yeah. it's 100% that you give. Yeah. And I've always thought that I've shown that in what I've done, um, because before they were born, I'd become a barrister already. Um, while they were growing up, they've seen me in teaching. So they've always seen me studying and working. Mm. The grandmother, she's a graduate. Mm. So it's not like um, they will be the first... Yeah. family members to go to university they've got some standing there mm. um, and it, it's kind of to pe- wanting to protect your children from that kind of thing and, and I know you can't protect them I mean it shouldn't exist um, but there are obviously experiences that he as a young black man mm. has experienced and he hasn't shared with me okay. um, for him to have that kind of of insight mm. and when he said oh it could be your name your surname I kind of said oh no 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 it, it, it can't be that it can't be that but the funny thing is which I've just remembered mm. when I used to send my CV off my maiden name is Joseph okay so it would be Rebecca Joseph and I would always get when I used to then walk in mm. for my interview I'd always get the Oh, it's you! Oh, oh, hot. nice to meet you. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know the yeah, truth. Which I kind of love because I thought, yeah, I'm gonna wipe the floor with you because I'm gonna yeah. be so dazzling. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Yeah. yeah. But then the funny thing somebody said to me was actually it wasn't that they thought um, I was white before they saw me. They thought I was Jewish, and my name is very Jewish, Rebecca Joseph. Okay. <laughs> So I think that's where I ticked the box, but then they didn't expect 
I would have covered yeah, to do yeah, yeah. But it never seemed to hinder me, to be mm. honest. It never hindered me. Um, and I must admit, since getting married, there are more what I call the red lights seem to be coming up. Things oh, okay. seem to get more difficult. But it's not something that defines me and sure. I'll still crack on. Yeah. So for him to see that, it, it, there was a bit of sadness. And knowing that no matter what I do, no matter how excellent I and my family are and how supportive, we still can't protect our children mm. against those things. Yeah. Um, which, to be honest, it kind of, it, it makes sense and it seems um, unrealistic for us to think that we could do that in the first place because... I know in, for example, Ghana, uh, I won't say the West Indies because that's a slightly different makeup with regards to colour, but in mm. Ghana, young people don't call themselves black because everybody is. Mm. So it's not a kind of thing where there's a difference. Yeah, okay. Because everybody's the same yeah. kind of thing. And you'll have maybe the occasional visitor who's a different colour and it's just, oh, welcome. And that's you're, you're someone yeah. different. Welcome and tell us about who you are. Mm. And that's how they've grown up. So for us to expect that in England, why would we expect that? Mm. Even though that's what we do expect. Um, so, the, yeah, there is a bit of sadness there. Yeah. Um, and even with my 12-year-old daughter, this lockdown period, she's going into some really deep thinking about herself and how she values herself and how people treat her. And she's been able to see the difference in the different aspects of her life where she is valued. Mm. And she's moved more towards that and moved away from the stuff that actually, no, I'm not valued there at all, Mm. which I'm really proud to see that. But there is, yeah, there is sadness to that. You're listening to the Always Stay Tuned podcast. Going to move on now to talking a bit about your experience and working in, I mean, we can keep it psychology, but there may be other ones that you want to bring in as well. But I suppose thinking about, I call them blockades um, rather than, I think barriers is too soft, so blockades to Mm. people who aren't from what you would expect from a Rebecca Joseph, so to speak, you know, in, in terms of that <laughs> stereotype, what we'd expect that to look like. But what would you say from from what you've seen, from what you've heard, from what experiences are maybe the, the 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 biggest kind of blockades that get in the way of people like yourself, me, and, and others really progressing in in the field of of the psychology that you work in specifically? Yeah, I think on the whole, psychology is not progressive enough and it Mm. should be in theory it should be the context it should be but it's not and if you're not progressive in that respect then obviously there's going to come limitations and so there is an inability to actually consider that somebody who is not from the same background as you who is not from um, the same economic background as you can be excellent there is actually a limitation in in that kind of thinking and I've seen that in people who have been clinical psychologists for decades Mm. and I've been so disappointed in the 
funneled vision that they have and quite frankly should know a lot better mm. quite frankly um and i'll go a bit further to actually say i don't believe you should be a psychologist if you have that limitation and inability but the profession itself eggs that on um so for example to become a counseling psychologist you have to not only pay for your your doctor you've got to pay for your own personal um therapy therapy yeah in on top of that and it just made me think of um when i was um, back in law some um of the older barristers they and their children were now looking for internships and wanted to work in pr mm. and they were able to do that because um they they had a flat in london and so they put them in the flat in London and gave them pocket money. And like these are 26 year olds mm-hmm. who've just come out of uni as well. Mm. And the whole wardrobe, they had that fund as well for their wardrobe because they had to look the bit. Mm-hmm. And some of them didn't even get paid anything. It was all funded from their parents. Mm. And so if you were somebody from a, a social economic background that couldn't put you up in a flat in London and pay for a wardrobe. Mm. You had no chance in yeah. PR, no matter how excellent you are. And it's the same thing I see in psychology, which should be, I mean, it's academic, academically more vigorous than PR, mm. yet you've got the same situation. So people are either getting into a lot of debt, mm. Which would be fine if the salary that you were then starting with was able to wipe that in a year. Yeah. But the starting salaries are ridiculous and actually insulting that somebody who is now a doctor in what they do in excellence could start less than somebody who'd worked in the way up to be manager. Mm. What value is that showing to your profession? So... Only those with a wealth are are willing to get into a lot of debt with the possibility of never getting out of that debt Mm. um, can actually enter that, which is really frightening. And even when it comes to the jobs, because there are some people that are doing very well in psychology, but in order to get those kind of roles and jobs, that's a network issue. It's not something that you advertise, that those that advertise the most then get the most clients. It's about a network. Well, that's only coming from certain universities um, where your parents are already in that network. Yeah. Um, so it's just with ease that you get those roles. Mm. Um, and that's, I think, is the shameful thing about psychology because it could be so much more. Um, I remember doing my... Um, first research for my fir- in my first master's and I wanted to look at black female leaders mm. um, who worked for um, western companies but in Africa okay. and how um, that would that has impacted them whether it's been to an advantage for them mm. or was it seen as like a kind of detriment yeah and I was actually prepared to go out to Ghana to do that research and my mm. supervisor and I said, I said, you know, all the different things that we have to go through for ethics, et cetera. Mm. And I said, oh, I should contact the Ghanaian Psychological um, Society. 
yeah. um, to ask if they minded me doing that. And she went, oh, why would you bother doing that? And I thought, but I'm sure the British <laughs> Psychological Society would like to know if somebody Someone else came. <sighs> yeah. Why would you bother doing that? And I thought, oh, okay. And I thought, that just spoke volumes to me. Yeah. Because like, how can you not see the benefit of psychology around the world? Yeah. Um, when you clearly don't, it's all Eurocentric. I mean, we've just got to look at these studies that um, we all have to follow and use, etc. They're all Eurocentric. And you're, they're quite happy for that to continue. I was going to ask you how, how if you can uh, remember, how, how, did you, how did you feel hearing that maybe at the time and just afterwards? Because that's, I can imagine just me being just speechless and being like, uh, <laughs> what do you even say to that? What, what, about, what, what about for yourself? Like, how, how did that make you feel? And she was like, basically, it doesn't really matter. Just do whatever you feel like kind of thing. Well, I then looked back and I thought, well, actually, even though I'd like to do that kind of research, I am British and I'm a um, qualitative researcher. I love qualitative research. Mm. And I thought, rather than going to another country, because remember, Ghana's not my country, it's my husband's mm. country. Mm. Um, what about the voices that are actually in my country then? Okay. Because um, they haven't been heard. Black British women in leadership positions in the UK, in male-dominated industries. Mm. And so that's when I, I switched it to that. And I didn't give her any, any more thought to the matter because um, I thought, actually, the bigger issue is to get yeah. unheard voices heard. And yeah. so... Yeah. Do it from home. Yeah. And that's what I did. I changed it to that. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean it, again it's sad kind of hearing things like that. It's 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 great actually that's then led on to thinking of I mean if that's if that's your attitude about over there, you know, maybe there's maybe there's scope to do something here then and actually think about like you say the un- mm. unheard voices here and um, just kind of going back on a few things you mentioned already. Um, it seems like there's uh, something going on, a lot of sirens. Um, but I think, I think, yeah, something you kind of touched on, particularly with the sort of counselling psychology side as well. So um, for anyone that's obviously not aware, like you said, you have to sort of pay for your course. I think you do placements as well that are usually voluntary. Yes. You have to pay for supervision, I believe. And then you also um, have to pay for your own therapy as well. Um, you've got the debt side of things, um, which is, again, um, tossing in how I'm going to save up for that. But of course, a lot of people will take out a loan, won't they? Um, and it is that kind of, you go through all of that, a number of years of, um, of of kind of training and the salary you get afterwards. And again, you know, each industry to their own, but it's like, actually, is this, is this, um, is this salary getting something, is this, sorry, is this salary something that equates to the amount of effort that's been put in for something that's so important um yeah. as well and the comparisons i think help to put it into perspective as to what other industries are paying for what what kind of job and again you know each is different but i think you know a massive thing um there and in, in the in the starting salary and and even the one of the other comments as well around um the network and, and i think again when you mentioned that just raise the frustration in me. I had, I had an experience where um, I was doing a, a course, which I, I won't um, 
name too explicitly, um, so I don't get in trouble. But um, certainly, there was a particular person who was running the course. They had um, several links, and they were going to one person. They'd email them because there was a colleague I had on the on the course, and they said, "Oh, um, did you get such and such as email about um, this this position?" I was like, "What do you mean?" They're like, "Oh, there's this paid position for like for a couple of weeks, couple of days." I was like, "No, sent me the email. Be, it'd been blind copied." Um, oh goodness! Yeah, so they they didn't realize it had gone to me, um, but clearly it wasn't being sent to everyone. Um, mm. And again, this isn't this isn't. Uh, you know, a place I'm gonna, um, uh, you know, rant. I can. I've got plenty of time to to do that elsewhere. But I think I think it's just kind of uh, again that network thing. It's it's who you know and it's who they know as well and who they want to share with you. Um, I wanted to check in as well. So this kind of leads on then to, to thinking about because I think you'd mentioned one of the sort of like a sort of personal incident that came up. Um, I'm happy to go through that one, but I'm just thinking about like like a, a real kind of incident that kind of you know taught you or told you or reinforced that yeah I'm a little bit different from everyone else and, and certainly not being treated like my you know what some of my peers might be that maybe don't look or or, or sound like me as well um do you feel mm-hmm. comfortable to, to to kind of share an experience yeah yeah definitely I mean um the, the one that comes to mind um, and I'll share a positive one actually with regards to the network thing as well. After. Good. But yeah, so I mentioned before that my previous role, I was part of the MDT team mm. and um, the leading um, psychiatrist, clinical psychiatrist, um, really didn't interact with anybody. Now, bearing in mind, the MDT is made up of, um, I was doing education, so teacher side of a child's life. Mm. Social worker, um, family therapist, mm. uh, art therapist. Um, what was the other one? Yeah, you're running any any um, run of the mill psychologist, mm. and then you've got your clinical psychotherapist. Yeah, and the majority of people on that team for the particular roles were black, but yet the lead clinical. Um, psychiatrist didn't interact with us at all um, and even when I joined um, there was no like oh tell us who you are kind mm. of thing at all. and then one meeting there was an additional person there a young man who at first I thought it was the clinical psychiatrist's mm. son um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because they were chatting I've never seen this man chat so much before I've never, never seen it mm. I thought he was an introvert but um, and he was, seems to be very chuffed and um, explaining things to, to this um, young man mm. so I thought well I'm going to get in on this conversation can we just sat here like we're, we're waiting for the meeting to start and we're just sat here and I kind of inside apart from these two chatting mm. um, and so he was introduced, which none of the others have ever been introduced before, week in, week out. Mm. Um, and this young man was coming to get work experience. And I said, oh, that, this is a great um, opportunity for you. So I said, oh, so where are you up to in your training? Because he'd been introduced as somebody who was on his way to becoming the doctor, which the majority of the people in the room, we were all working our way up to, yeah, <laughs> to becoming yeah, a doctor yeah. as well. <laughs> And I said, oh, so where were you in the path then? 
And he hadn't even done his, his first year of undergraduate. Oh, wow. And I thought, well, you've got a long way to go, but <laughs> I can't see how you how you're going to add to this, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. Um, because the amount of input you were being encouraged to give, sorry, oh. of all these professionals, what is it you've got to got to give? Yeah. But I thought the shameful thing was that clinical um, psychiatrist, mm. who is obviously going to give him references and help him on his mm. way. Could have done that for six professionals in that room. Yeah. But has never had any interest in supporting the professionals that already have the qualifications who their next step is to do their to doctorate. Do yeah. Has never shown any interest in supporting them in doing that. Um, and so the, the young man then asked me, oh, what do you do? And I mm. explained that I'm here with um, the teacher capacity, mm-hmm. but actually... I've been a barrister. I've done like two um, masters, masters. etc. Mm. Been the teacher for then it was like nine years and what have you. And he was like, "Oh wow!" And the eyeballs of the clinical disciples <laughs> locked out. And I thought, "Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you never bothered asking, did yeah. you?" And from since since that day, it was always morning, Rebecca. Morning. I thought, okay. <laughs> okay morning mm. morning to you as well mm. but yeah as they say as one of my um, good friends she always just points her eye like that mm. <laughs> yes <laughs> i recognize that one um yeah. yeah i mean it's incredible really isn't that um <laughs> i think it's just bad manners quite frankly i mean obviously you can see the racism um, but then a lot of people get very uncomfortable with that word racism. Mm. Majority of people don't even know the definition of racism anyway, mm. and they just get scared when they hear it. Um, and racism can happen to from people of the same colour as you yeah. as well. People don't seem to understand that. But there's also the mix, especially in this country, of classism as well. Mm. So when you talk about racism or unconscious bias and what have you people say yeah but I didn't come with a golden spoon in my mouth either and what have you and it's like yeah you're right you're not a victim of racism you're a victim of classism which can be just as dangerous and as limiting because they don't want you either but there are some of us that are dealing with classism and racism Mm. Mm. and the difference they don't seem to see the difference so when you talk about the trauma that kids black children are going through mm. or um, listening to what's going on in America and that causing trauma mm. a lot of people really don't get it like how would that cause you trauma because it's got nothing to do with you you live in this country yeah and there's just no understanding that the, that kind of incident would have a traumatic impact on children and adults mm-hmm. in this country and actually around the world there is really a lack of that understanding whatsoever. It really I t- is. I, t- I totally agree. Um, again, I mean, we could probably spend ages sort of talking about that, but just images, hearing stories, what that means. You mentioned like your daughter's reflecting on on sort of how she's maybe engaging, interacting with others, and you know, we live in a world where information is so freely obtainable it's really helpful so we know what's going on but also Mm. there's almost that kind of overkill sometimes of just having things just forced upon you and it's that 
trauma, uh, traumatizing, but I think the word I'm hearing, I, I totally agree with, is that re-traumatizing. Um, mm-hmm. So we had all this thing with, um, uh, obviously, with, with uh, George Floyd recently, and then that's not the only incident. And it's mm-hmm. it's then hearing other incidences and seeing other things as well. And I, I think sometimes people will then fail to understand, actually, it's not just that one incident that happened. It's all the ones before and all the ones since. And it's that you know, uh, ongoing thing. You're listening to the Always Stay Tuned podcast. I think similar to, to kind of a few of these, I'm, I'm also interested in the experience of um, work, you working in psychology as a, as a black female or maybe, you know, uh, obviously someone with the heritage that you have. And, and this just comes from things that I've seen and, and experienced in other people. Um, again, wondering what, if you've got anything in, uh, in that sense. Um, I think probably have, but um, only two things come to mind. Mm. So when I worked in the hospital setting, as the new patients were admitted, they were given key workers and key teachers, and I would always get the black children. Mm. But to be honest, I didn't mind that because I'd rather they were with me mm. because I think it's damaging to be with other people who are very limited in their thinking and understanding Mm. and not capable of taking on different cultural aspects Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of where that child's come from so I was quite happy for that but I do see that there are a lot of black children and that's going across the board um, with regards to from African Caribbean those black children and black young adults who are under the supervision of people with a lack of capacity to understand where they're coming from and are being judged at a point of their life when they're at their most vulnerable mm. and I don't think that's acceptable I honestly can't see how it's going to change. Mm. Um, and I think eventually there, there, is a, there is a network building of black clinical psychologists um, who have had enough and they are building, but it's going to take a good 20 years before we actually see the differences. And between now and then, we're still getting young people who are over medicated mm-hmm. because the traits are seen as aggressive um rather than no they're just they just being loud and they're, they're going through a lot so it's understandable mm-hmm. for that they don't need to be medicated for it they're not a threat to you um and yet other people who aren't black who clearly are a threat <laughs> And yet nothing seems to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have the other side of that is a lot of physical assault on staff. Mm. Um, and a lot of the key worker staff um, that, I suppose, I suppose you could say the non-professional staff, yeah. are black. And they're getting assaulted um, because some children from their appearance don't seem threatening. Yet on the other side, we've got children being over-medicated, which has an impact as they go into adulthood. Absolutely. Another important topic about actually not just from a um, 
uh, a staff or clinician therapist point of view, but from the other, the other side, from the client point of view, and then the subsequent impact, you know, on that client group or then the the staff, like you said, um, in terms mm-hmm. of you know appearances. Um, so we're coming towards the end, and uh, the, the question I'm asking is around. Um, what what needs to, to change, I guess. Um, and I suppose in terms of, uh, I guess, your field, um, what would you say is like one thing, if, if you know, if you could change one thing, do it really well, and it was long-standing change. Well, probably for the whole list, but what, 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 what would you, what would that be? Where, where, where would you start? Oh, that is just huge. And there are so many important elements. Yeah. It is hard to choose. Mm. Um, oh my goodness! Gosh, it's everything from the funding aspect to. Mm. All right, let me see if I can narrow it down. Go on, go I'm on. trying to get it to one point. <laughs> well, you can, you can, you've got my permission to use more than one if you want to. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> Well, funding is really important, but I'm just going to put that to one side. Okay. To be, and I can't help but looking at both sides. So I work with children, but I can't help but look at the people that are um, working. So because they're just as important, their potential is just as important, whether it's teacher um, or whoever's working alongside. So I look at the adults and the children. And I think as a professional, especially if you have excellence, that excellence needs to be harnessed in the best way possible. Just as you would for a child, you want them to be build their potential as well. Mm-hmm. But how, and it kind of poses the question, how can a professional be at their best when part of their growth requires them to be vulnerable and explore that vulnerability mm-hmm. when there is no environment that is actually safe for them to be vulnerable. It's okay. safe for other people to explore their vulnerability and then go on and develop. But as a black professional, there is not an environment in this country, mm-hmm. I don't know about America, mm-hmm. where a black professional who could possibly have gone through their own trauma as a child or whatever is in, or can be in a safe environment to explore that without mm. being judged, mm-hmm. without being capped, without, um, if they don't fit the narrative of, oh, woe is me, they're seen as aggressive and overstrong and don't need as much help. Um, that is not a safe environment for a professional to reach their excellence. And I think, so the one thing I'd want to create a safe environment mm-hmm. for all professionals to be vulnerable and explore so that they can grow as psychologists true, truly to themselves, I think. Wow. I'll, I'll have to, um, if, if I get any credit for that, I'll have to um, make sure that you have the, um, what they call the intellectual um, sort of property for that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think, I think it's, a, it's a really interesting one. I, I imagine would spread across most of psychology as well. Um, just like you say, it's, I think it comes back to this kind of theme about 
being able to explore, like you say, being able to be vulnerable, being the best that you can be, but you're only as, as strong as your kind of weakest skill or experience. And it's important, mm-hmm. I guess, from uh, from kind of what you mentioned there to acknowledge that, be aware of that, see where it's holding you back and use it to, to obviously move forward as well. Because of course, mm-hmm. once we're helping ourselves, you know, the, uh, the old saying, it's hard to help others if you can't help yourself as well and, and being aware mm-hmm. of that. So I really like that idea. Um, can't promise that that will, that will change. I don't know if I've got those powers, but no, I think, I think again, it's, it's really important um, as well. And I'm sure those that are kind of listening uh, sort of along to this as well, um, hopefully it can, it can inspire some reflections and thinking. Um, who, who, you know, who knows what will, what will happen? Um, maybe, maybe it's already happening and we don't know, but I, I've... True, oh, I but many I've, things do happen. But it's, I, I can assure you, it's something that I'm thinking about all the time as mm. you can possibly provide that. I'm not sure how it's going to happen, but it needs to happen. I agree. And so if anybody else is thinking the same thing, then collaboration is a necessary thing. But it's yeah. definitely something on my to-do list to provide that environment. I'm not sure how yet, but it'll be done. As long as it's on the list, that's the main thing. We can worry about the house and stuff later. Uh, Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on the, the show today. Um, just so much insight, so many different angles, um, uh, so much inspiration anyway from, from, from my side of things as well. Um, and I just want to double check if there's anything at all um, that you wanted to promote. I know some people, um, they, they want to plug their socials or any sort of groups or um, events that they're involved with, anything at all that you'd like to, to, to promote or plug. There are groups of um, black psychologists mm. of the different fields as well who are creating networks. They are creating forums for people to speak uh, for people to learn from, um, for people to be awoken to. Um, but yes, if you, if you, if you need mm. to just Google Black Organisational Psychologist Network, you, you'll come up with it. Mm-hmm. And they are getting links in with the government department. Even I've got uh, independent work via this network group. Oh, wow. um, so these network groups are building because we haven't had it mm. at all. And there's such good work. There's another lady as well. She's based in the West Midlands. I think she's called Dr. Sarah something or other, Mm -hmm. highlighting um, clinical, black clinical psychology training, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And it's one thing that I just wouldn't go into clinical psychology now. One of my students, um, and he was a a young white boy, actually, and he Mm -hmm. said, you'd be brilliant as a clinical psychologist, Mm -hmm. He goes, I would love to have you as that. But it's just too traumatic as a black female. You just don't need that. (laughs) If it was just a case of, yeah, I'll train, I'll do the doctorate and I'll do the role. Yeah, but that's not the way. Um, But for those that are um, younger and coming into it, there are networks building to support Mm -hmm. you and protect you. So that is building. So I want to shout out to all those people that are doing that. We can we can uh, we we can always find it and we put it in the description as well. Yes, I'll, I'll yes, put I'll your your Twitter handle in there as well. Um, again, thank you so much. Um, it's been such a such a fantastic uh, sort of uh, conversation and discussion as well. Um, and 
obviously all the best with the new role and finishing up the previous one as well. Oh, thank you. And thank you for doing a podcast like this. I can't wait to listen to it. I really can't. So thank you. You're very welcome. Well, it will be out, um, I was going to say out next month, but of course, by the time, if you're listening to it, of course, it is already out. Um, so it is October. So um, happy Black History Month um, as well. Um, brilliant. That's um, another thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave it there. Well, thank you. So I have to say, when I first put the feelers out to do this, I think my aim was to do about four or five. So to have recorded eight, and I think they're, at the time of recording, it's eight, but I think it might even be a ninth one. I'm really pushing this one. One person I used to work with, I'm really hoping that she'll, she'll do one. But I wasn't expecting the response that I got. And one of the first people that reached out to me was Rebecca, who, as you can tell, is just very passionate about what she does. And yeah, I'm just, I think I'm in awe of her, of her journey because I don't want to say she's done it all, but she's kind of done it all. Like I I don't think I'm going to meet many people in my life that have done what she's done. Usually in that context, it's usually someone that's been, in the the kind of media spotlight, like a celebrity, like a sports star who's set up another business or, you know, someone who's got a successful business and has been able to do other things. So the fact that she's, she's done all of these different things with the underpinning and the foundation of why she wanted to do that, I'm just in awe. So when she reached out and she's telling me a little bit about what she did to start with, I was like, yes, we, this episode needs to happen. So I was, I was really, really thankful for that. I think with this one, I know the, the sound quality is not fantastic, which is um, all the fun of working with, with Zoom. But I think anyway, there was, there, was, there, was, there was enough of a clarity there to kind of get that. But yeah, just in terms of the episode itself. So firstly, just thinking about the marking system and that, that massive fluctuation between when she's doing a, a A-levels and you could get an A-star or an E and... I do, I do wonder what's in people's heads sometimes when they're talking to, to people that are studying at like the A-level stage or what have you. And it's like, I don't know. So for me, it's your job as a teacher to kind of guide that and nurture that. Not going to get everyone, but I mean, clearly looking back at, in hindsight at Rebecca's career, again, it definitely wasn't a missed opportunity, but more could have probably been done. So it's, again, it's just thinking about how how often has that happened with other people where it's maybe not gone in that direction. One other thing that's come from this is the idea about changing career, and that is actually fine. And I spoke to someone as well, someone who's doing a, a career that they're not that keen on is looking to get into psychology and the kind of anxieties around that, but it's fine. I think I've I've changed my career a couple of times and a lot of people have changed their careers and I, I think there's nothing wrong with that. You can keep doing it because I, I think we're past the time of having a, a job for life or a career for life. And I think the more different things you do, the more fulfilled your life could be if that's your if that's your kind of thing. So, yeah, that, that was really nice to hear. And I think 
I think seeing that a bit further down the career line, let's say, and obviously Rebecca's got many, many years left of of doing various different things. I think that was that was pleasing to hear that it's okay to do that and you can be very successful in doing that as well. I think we're now getting into some of the the bits that were a bit frustrating. And I'm, as people know me, I'm a very frustrated person. I've got a lot of fire. Um, but yeah, frustration at this kind of general theme of the short-termism that I feel like this country in particular, we can be so much better at. I think we want to wait till the fire begins and then figure out how to put that fire out rather than doing the, the, the fire safety training before. And I just feel like, particularly with young people, it's it's so reactive rather than proactive. But and again, I try my best not to be too negative, but I just feel that's a theme within just, I think within the fabric of this country, like it's let's wait for something bad to happen and react to it. You know, COVID, so much stuff is like, let's see how it goes. And even though we've got the benefit of hindsight from other countries and even looking at the second wave, you know, we've got the benefit of knowing what's happened before. Let's just see what happens. And it's like, no, it's like information's there, use that. And then think, okay, these are the different scenarios. Let's try and be proactive. So again, that that I guess that fits in with with Rebecca's idea around, you know, where she was doing the the law side of things. It was too late by that point. She wanted to do things a bit earlier. So again, she can make that change there. But you also have other people that are trying to. You still need people to put fires out. You know, you can't have a a world without that. But for her passions and her values, she wanted to 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 st- try and stop the fires in the first place. So I really respect that, but I just feel like that's just I think that's just a historical thing for this for this country. And I, unless you change the systems, which again you've got a load of other issues around that, both political and non political, it's gonna it's gonna be really hard to stop that. So it's really it's really good that you've got people at least trying to make a change in in the system there. One one thing as well, because we talked a little bit before the episode, and one thing that really confused me was this whole thing about not getting on a doctorate. And it was just this kind of, how could somebody with her, her background, her expertise, her knowledge, her passion, her education, how, yeah, just why wouldn't you want somebody why wouldn't you want someone involved in that? Of course, she's involved in, in, in lots of different ways, but, and obviously you can't cheat the system. That has to be a fair way of doing it. But I think the system is, a lot of systems are broken. I'm not on that panel. I, I'm not involved in that process. I'm not, I have nothing to do with, with that area of psychology, but it feels like there's something wrong if someone like Rebecca is missing out on a place to to do a doctorate but again I can only talk from from the information that I have there could have been legitimate reasons for that but I'd be very surprised if if there were I think when people have that passion I wonder if that's taken into account or maybe whether that's used against people as well when they are applying the conversation really with Rebecca really got me thinking about how important it is to consider what type of psychologist a person wants to be. 
I think for me, I kind of know that. And I think I learned that within my last training that I did and the course lead, she more than anything, talking to her both in terms of just on the course, but also just some private conversations with her. She is very much herself in her therapy. Like you've seen um, sort of videos of her doing therapy, but also the role play, she's very much herself and that comes out. And I feel like she knows who she wants to be as a psychologist um, or a therapist. And I think when I've been talking to people who are getting into the field, regardless of how old they are, whatever, um, who they are, regardless of their, their heritage, I think that's one thing that I'll be certainly keeping in mind about what kind of therapist do you want to be and how important it is to have that come out as well. I feel like, I think the last thing I'll touch on is the the whole thing about the research and the academic side, because I think a few of the episodes have covered the academic side and others a bit less so. But yeah, the research and dissertation stuff and the master's stuff, and it's that attitude so you have to remember when you break it down, you've got a person, so a supervisor who they are in that position probably because of the experience they've had. They, they're in a position of power. And so to have, and this isn't the wildest story that you're going to hear, by the way, of being quite dismissive of or, or seeing other people or other communities as lesser. Because let's be real, that's what it is. It's when when you want to go and do some research with a particular kind of person and you're saying well the normal ethics and guidelines we follow aren't important because it's just that country or that community you're basically saying it doesn't matter and so again it just feels like two steps forward two steps back I imagine that was probably quite a long time ago and who knows that person might have reflected on that response and thought yeah that wasn't an appropriate thing to do I very much doubt it but that that might be the case so again it was just very disheartening to hear that and again it just reminds me of if you've got that attitude about doing research on people to try and help move things forward it, it's it's a scary message about what other overt or covert messages they're going to be giving to other people, giving about other people in in, in that line of work um, as well. So, yeah, again, a really, I think, again, it was another episode that was very different, really interesting, a lot of inspiration there, a lot of things to learn. You know, the I even forgot about the story about the opportunities that come up opportunities where someone is able to just come in a room full of psychologists and work experience and just where that's not available again I've been quite fortunate in some spaces where again I had one supervisor in particular where she was really trying to get me in those places and she she was from a she was a, 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 a white female therapist, so very much what you'd expect to see. But she was getting me in a lot of meetings, getting me exposed to a lot of things as well. So I can't sit here and say that that, that doesn't happen. But definitely some other people are just afforded opportunities that are just, I think I, think I mentioned an example about when I was doing a particular qualification and being not copied into emails for opportunities. And it's like, why? 
you know, why why are people not being given an, uh, an equal opportunity to be in those rooms and be in those places? And that's not saying that no one should get it or just certain people should get it. It's just like you've got colleagues that you're working with. Why why do you not offer them opportunities there? So I hope you've all found this this episode interesting and, and useful. And yeah, we've got plenty more coming. So thank you for tuning in.